Welcome to Vice and Easy, your podcast for all things Miami Vice, with your host, Marina. Hello, and welcome back to Vice and Easy. We have a fun one this week. This week, we're going to be breaking down Season 1, Episode 4, entitled Calderon's Return, Part 1. So you know that next week, we're going to be breaking down Part 2, which is actually super fun as well. This episode was written by Joel Cerno and Anthony Yurkovich. Anthony Yurkovich, of course, being the creator of Miami Vice. And the synopsis for this week, the team moves to protect Crockett and his family from an assassin hired by Calderon to re-empty the void he left behind. I, for one, love the use of the verb re-empty. We know he means serious business. So we actually opened the episode on Sunny smoking and shaving at the same time. So kudos to me, of course. I include a picture of it in the gallery. <laughs> um, any shot of Crockett smoking and doing anything else is always going to be in the gallery, just so you know. <laughs> just to juxtapose what life was like in the 80s as to what it is now and what you could get away with and where you could smoke and where it was socially acceptable to smoke, like in an enclosed bathroom with your friend slash coworker while you're working. But anywho, this is a little weird because Crockett and Tubbs are doing surveillance. And as we know, Zito and Switek are usually the ones doing surveillance. So um, kind of plays out because Crockett is on his way to divorce court. So maybe they just kind of move schedules around to let him go off to court. However, Tubbs finds a girl after his own heart while on the, while on the watch. I'm going to play this clip. Maybe I feel like a corpse. I still don't know why we left Jersey to come to this dump. Amen. Woman after your own heart, eh, Tubbs? Got that right. Two million extra per annum, good enough reason, sweetheart. This is the land of opportunity. Now, as someone who moved from the East Coast to the West Coast with Sunshine, I kind of understand both sides of this, where a lot of people are like, oh, I guess you don't miss Canada. I guess you don't miss Toronto. The weather's so nice. And I'm... To be fair, the weather is a big part of enjoying one's place to live, but it's not as if every sunny location has a great quality of life. Uh, Yes, not shoveling your car or chipping away at the ice frozen on your car or slipping on ice or walking around in negative 20 weather is great, but it's something that you just kind of put up with because you enjoy the city and you enjoy the quality of life. So the grass is not always greener. Also, I wouldn't say this is a programming note. I guess it is. I am working very hard on talking slower. I notice that when I'm editing my episodes, I kind of sound like I'm a pug, just... (sighs) And I don't know why I'm... (laughs) I was sick with something that was not COVID in December where my tongue had swollen up and it was really, really, really hard for me to breathe and the air quality in Los Angeles was really bad. So every time I try to go out for a run or a walk to kind of get my stamina back up was really difficult. It was not COVID, test myself a million times. Don't know what it was, but um, I can still kind of, maybe it's just allergies in the Santa Ana's, but I noticed that I always sound like I'm super out of breath and I am working on talking slower. I think the thing is, is that all the podcasts I listen to are always at 1.2 or 1.5 because, you know, a lot of times I just, I want to just get through it. I want to hear all the fun stuff. It's very weird when you listen to music podcasts and they have to play 15 seconds of a clip and it's sped up to 1.5 and it just sounds like chipmunks. So it is something I'm working on. It's also a problem with my writing, as I will, you've probably seen in the show notes. Rocketbook is this app that you write down notes and you can scan the book and it will transcribe them for you. Yeah, it only transcribes if you have perfect handwriting. My notes, the transcription notes are so funny. I'll make sure they're up. Uh, Just what I wrote versus what they think I wrote. So I don't know why I write really, and I don't write, you know, when I say that I write really fast, my handwriting's messy and I'll miss letters. So I don't know, maybe um, my brain just works very fast, but not well. (laughs) 
Like, I don't, it's not that I'm super smart. I think it's just that, and I read really fast too. I don't know where this comes from. Maybe it comes from college because I basically had to do, I goofed off for three years and then I had to do everything in like a year and a half, two years. So maybe I just sped everything up. And even though now I haven't been in school for a long time, I haven't increased the quality of my writing or my reading or my speaking. So soon with my slowed down voice, and if I can't hide my accent, this is what I'm going to sound like. I moved here from Canada and they think I'm slow, eh? (laughs) Kills me every time. All right, back to the episode. So as I mentioned, I was like, why are Crockett and Tubbs doing surveillance? Turns out that Zeno and Switek are coming back in to switch over because Tubbs is about to drive Crockett to divorce court. I think it's very wholesome. Also, it's one of the only times in this series I remember that Tubbs is driving the spider or even the testarossa. So this is a big deal. While Tubbs is dropping Crockett off at court, Tubbs reminds him that it could be worse. Divorce. At least it's not root canal. <laughs> you gotta have a sense of humor about these things, man. So as Caroline and Crockett meet on the steps with their respective lawyers, you do have to realize that they're both wearing white to divorce court. I understand it's Miami, and as I'll say later on this episode, many factors and visual cues lead me to believe this was filmed on the hottest day of the year. Because it just looks like it is 130 degrees plus 100% humidity. Everyone is just dying of heat. So maybe this is why they're wearing white to divorce court or maybe to look more innocent. Uh, You know, a lot of times lawyers will coach their clients on what to wear because a lot of it is how you look to the judges, how you look to the opposing counsel. So maybe that's why they're both wearing white. Crockett does look very cute. He kind of looks like a little cowboy. You can kind of sense that southern flavor. Okay, Miami is also in the south, but not the like. I have to start differentiating between the two. Again, not American, so I just kind of, I know there's a very big difference in Miami versus the rest of the south, but he looks very dapper. He looks like a very sweet southern gentleman coming to take his lady to divorce court. <laughs> Uh, so it's actually their lawyers are arguing back and forth, talking about Crockett's lifestyle. And in this time, Caroline and Crockett are talking, kind of talking about wanting to kind of get together, see what could happen, see if they could work together. And they reconcile. And Caroline decides to fire her lawyer. Same with Crockett. They leave holding hands and Caroline stops and slaps a horse's butt. I think it's very cute. As Crockett says, our divorce was a bigger failure than our marriage. I think that's kind of sweet. Well, we'll see how that, we'll see how this plays out. Spoiler alert. (laughs) So we cut back to the surveillance and they're tailing a car. The music gets very, very tense and spooky. Let me see, do I have the clip of it? I do not, and now I realize the reason. So as I said, the music kind of gets weird and tense and spooky, but it's like a synth spooky, not kind of like John Carpenter-esque music that kind of like heightens your mood, heightens your sense of fear. So we see the driver who has curly ginger hair, sorry, curly red hair, and he has gold sunglasses. He puts in earplugs, gets out of the car, and ends up shooting these guys in broad daylights. But he wears gloves. I I understand that 1984, 1983, I guess when this was shot, 1984, there weren't the same number of, you know, 
cameras or they were very grainy CCTV footage cameras. They weren't, you know, now everybody has a ring camera. There's surveillance everywhere. So maybe this is why the guy felt brave enough to just shoot people in broad daylight without a mask, without anything. And again, he has pretty unique characteristics. So this, no silence, my notes, no silence or nothing. Um, So he kills the cop after who tries to stop him and the chase is on. Uh, We see Tubbs come to the scene. He asks what happens with the sheriff and grabs a gun. It looks to be like a shotgun. I'm sorry. I'll ask, I'll ask, I'll ask an American to walk me through these gun gun fun facts um i took a picture of him tubbs is in a full suit and you could just see the his back is just full of sweat so this is again why i think this episode is filmed on the hottest day of the year so unfortunately they end up losing the shooter in the crowd and lieutenant rodriguez is really pissed he wants dna samples and they open up his suitcase with twenty thousand pistols nope sorry pistols worth twenty thousand dollars and a hit list. The only response we hear is, where is he? Dun, dun, dun. Who are they looking for? What is this? In what may be my favorite scene transition, maybe of all time, Sonny Crockett is smoking a cigarette in bed next to his current wife. Still his current wife. They haven't divorced yet. They may be separated. His legally separated wife, Caroline. And this just goes through my head. I remember I was reading about Ben Affleck and Anna de Armas when they were filming Deepwater and Ben Affleck, notorious chain smoker. And Anna de Armas is still like grabbing onto him and like looking at him while he's smoking a cigarette. And the blogger is a former smoker, Lainey Gossip. And she was saying she must be so in love and turned on by this man to still look adoringly at him and touch him and be all over him while he's smoking a cigarette when you don't smoke. Crockett cracks a joke that uh, her boyfriend's at the door when he hears the doorbell. So he goes to answer the door shirtless, naturally, as he is wont to do. And it's actually Tubbs who has some bad news to tell him that they found a hit list and that Crockett is number eight and that the first six people on this hit list are dead. So not great news. And... Then another scene, we see that Rodriguez gets results from the fingerprints from Interpol. No name, but prints can be tied to a former ambassador in Mexico with previous attache work. So what is an attache, you ask? An attache is when you are on the staff of ambassador um, or diplomat or such or government agency as such, but you also have ties elsewhere, maybe ties to an alphabet organization, wink, wink, or ties to another government. Um, so it kind of means, not that, I was going to, I was going to put that always study clip of like, I play both sides. So I always come out on top, but basically just means that they, they just have a lot of, a lot of experience, a lot of connections. They know their stuff. So they think he's Argentinian, and a possible names possible name comes out as Carlos Mendez. The FBI is working on it, um, and they're going to let them know what Interpol finds and work with them. Then Gina comes to tell Crockett that Caroline and Billy are at a safe house. Crockett's kind of girlfriend has to tell him that the wife he just spent the day in bed with and his son are at a safe house. Gina, I do not want to make every episode just, it's just how I scream at Gina when I watch her on screen do this. 
Oh my God, this is just so painful to watch. As a woman, I think for you guys, I see all over, you know, like the Instagram and the Tumblr and the fan accounts, like Gina, Gina's great, Gina's amazing, she's so loyal. Yes, Gina's awesome and beautiful, but she's loyal because you guys would love for, to have somebody like that, but you do not want to be the person that does that. So you don't want to be the person who's in love with someone who's in love with someone else. You want to be in love with someone who loves you equally back. No possible ex-wives or ex-husbands or exes. Fully over them, fully moved on. This is what you all deserved. Well, even better, Crockett is telling Gina that he doesn't want to go to the safe house with his ex, with his wife and child. Because, this is actually fair, I'm completely on Sunny's side. He was promised six people to surveil and to watch and to guard, and there was only four people currently. Oh my god. <laughs> Sorry, I'm reading ahead of my notes. Okay, this next scene, I'm just going to play you the clip, and then there's a picture on the gallery. Oh my god. Calderon, he's behind us. Why Crockett and not you? I don't know. Maybe he knew that Crockett was the Miami Heat. And as far as he was concerned, I was just a no-name cop who got the drop on him. So he's staging a comeback to Miami, I don't think so. Getting rid of the competition that grabbed the territory he left open. Smoothing the past. Nailing the cop that busted him. have to if you're driving please drive safely but if you're at home please pull up the gallery and look at the picture of the facts it's so again like i don't even know how we, okay <clears throat> i don't even know how he can make out that it's called a road it's so bad it's so bad and it's on the perforated paper you know the paper with the um it had holes in the side and uh, perforated edges so you could rip off the sides, but you put the full piece of paper in with the holes so it could feed it through. Oh my God, sorry. I, I think I screamed and laughed on my television. I had to stop when I saw that. <laughs> okay, sorry, I've calmed down. And <clears throat> Tubbs then gets handed a folder in the Sansa's briefcase and it has Crockett's address in it. So unfortunately, this means that Rodriguez and Crockett have to go to the boat to pack up to make sure that he's out of there as soon as possible. And unfortunately, that's also not great for his undercover. I know that in the past four, three episodes, four, if we count the pilot as two parts, people kind of just like go to his boathouse willy-nilly and like, isn't that, that's supposed to be his, I don't know. Like the FBI, obviously, that I was on Crockett and Tubbs aside. I'm like, no, you can't show up at the FBI and be like, no, nah, I'm just talking to this chill former football player who lives on a boat. Wink, wink. Nothing's going on. You can't bait out people's scenes like that. I do not know what you kids say now, but back in the day, baiting out someone's scene makes that you, it basically meant that you kind of made them look obvious. You kind of, not snitching, you just, you weren't. You weren't keeping someone's stuff on the down low. Wow, I sound... Hello, fellow kids. I sound so old right now. But yes, that's what we called it in high school. I do not know what they call it now. Don't... Don't blow his cover. There we go. That's not new at all. This is how they spoke in the 80s. So, hello, fellow kids. If you are a fellow... If you are a youth, you feel free to contact me and tell me how to say these phrases in today's vernacular. So, while Tubbs is packing up, 
sorry, while Crockett is packing up, Tubbs tries to call him to warn him. Rodriguez sees the light reflection. It's too late. He gets hit from the sniper who's on top of the watchtower. So not, not the watchtower, but a tower. Unfortunately, next scene, we cut to the hospital where Tubbs is holding a pamphlet that says, Poison and You. This, again, was before cell phones, when you had nothing to do in the waiting room, but apparently you could smoke, walk around, pace, and read weird pamphlets. I used to read, they used to have I Spies at my doctor's office when I was a kid and lots of magazines. So yeah, it was a very different time. Uh, they both look great. Tubbs is in Gray and Navy and Crockett and Tubbs end up getting into it because Crockett, now that Rodriguez has been shot, he really wants to get this guy. Tubbs is trying to tell him it's not safe. I'll play this next clip. Man, you go out, hey, hey, man, you go out there, you're going to end up right in here next to Rodriguez. You're not listening to me, man. You can't go out there, you know? Nothing I can say is going to change your mind, huh? So, Gina calls Crockett and Tubbs to set up a meeting with Linus, who's a small-time dealer. However, this small-time dealer might be the key in getting the assassin connected to Calderon behind bars. My, look how time flies. Running late for a business appointment. You were running late for life, Slick. Did you read the newspapers? Dealers like yourself are dropping like flies. <laughs> dealer? What you mean, dealer? Like a car dealer? <laughs> Where'd he put the suitcase? In the trunk. You had surveillance on me. Key Linus. You are infringing with my constitution. Got no right to open that suitcase. Probable cause. Linus, you should have locked this. <sighs> and of course, since the 80s, Crockett opened up the suitcase and what did he find? Stacks and stacks and stacks of cash. However, to circle back to, to circle back to that clip, let's talk about synergy. Uh, to circle back to that clip, Linus is right. Uh, so probable cause is um, what allows cops to detain people, and it's a standard by which police have reason to obtain a warrant. And in this case, it's technically not legit. I guess there was some surveillance, but there was no paperwork. And again, this is not something that's uncommon. I'm just letting you know that Linus was actually in the right. But they're basically using it so they have collateral. Not, not, not collateral. Sorry, I'm just getting all my Michael Mann things messed up. Um, they basically want to have something. They, they basically need a reason for him to work with the police. So they let him go, but they talk about the hit list with Linus. Linus admits that he's holding for Calderon. And Crockett and Tubbs want to try to push this transactional relationship a little bit further in this next clip. Look here, man. Looks like this is the time for me to uh, check out. You dudes take over. Guess Child. again, bucko. Uh-uh. No way, Jack. If you're thinking what I think you're thinking, no way am I going to go in there tonight and get my face shot off. <laughs> uh, you're looking at a conscientious objection. No, man. Look, the dude walks in the door, you grab him. Simple. Well, small problem. We don't know what he looks like. You get to spot him for us. I should have gone on the podiatrist school. I knew I should have done And that. then you wouldn't warrant the Trudy Gina escort service. <laughs> okay, I am Team Linus here because this is a very bad idea on paper. I understand that for television, the scene where they said that they're setting up in the nightclub will be great. 
However, personally, as someone who has worked with the hospitality industry for quite a long time, this is the last thing you want. You're putting people in danger. You're basically ensuring that nobody ever wants to come back to your establishment. And who's you're, you're bringing, yeah, like I can't imagine a worse place to find and detain a suspect than a nightclub. I understand that, you know, like the movie Collateral, that sometimes like it, you have to go there to protect other people, but to actively do this boggles the mind. I know this is just for television because it is so dangerous. So I'm team Linus on that one. Also, I think it's cute that he has backup with podiatry school. I have a friend who's a cropidist podiatrist in Canada. It's a very, it's a very rewarding career. So I like, I like to see that. So after Linus goes off with Trudy and Gina, Sonny's kind of nervous. He looks around, starts to smoke, obviously. <laughs> Tubbs offers to bring the car around. Crockett, however, declines. And they're walking down, and a man comes up from behind. Crockett whips around with his gun out. And this poor guy is just holding his pack, holding Crockett's pack of Lucky Strike cigarettes. <laughs> uh, no good deed goes unpunished, am I right? So in that whole r- fracas... Let's say that. Maybe is that a word? I don't know. The assassin with the curly red hair, the gold glasses, cup of coffee, and a vanilla sprinkle donut is sitting on the park bench. Very creepy. Dun dun dun. As I wrote in my notes, I don't. I don't do it that well. I'm like, maybe I'll. I'll get like a pre-recorded dun dun dun. I am so excited for the next scene because, in true Michael Mann fashion, there is a beach scene with a shirtless. Male and the love of his life, his woman, as they're talking, growing, bonding. It was in Thief, Manhunter, and now in Call the Road's Return Part One is the shirtless heart to heart. Not only that, it's, so it's okay, let's cross sect Michael Mann, Manhunter, Thief. It's the first time, it's the first time in the series that we hear this. Okay, I do not want to spend 30 minutes talking about this scene, but I probably will. I just knocked my table off too. Okay, okay, okay. So there's a lot going on here. First, Crockett's theme reference. And it's actually funny. So I was listening to the Rewatchables, and they actually did Call Their Own's Return, part one and two. And I think in another episode, Bill Simmons mentions that his ringtone is Crockett's theme. I'm like, oh, my ringtone is also Crockett's theme. It was the Miami Vice theme for a long time, but it was kind of like a little too high energy once spam calls really started taking off in the States. And, you know, I was excited to get that occasional, like, one call a week from a friend when I'd hear the Miami Vice theme song. But when you're getting called, multiple times a day about your car's expired warranty just started to like it just kind of made me a little too jumpy I'm so excited exactly so now it's Crocus theme to kind of chill me out also I, I this the scene has a lot of notes so I'm going to try to stay on topic this is kind of the first part of the episode where I get really strong Manhunter vibes and you'll see it all throughout this episode. So I'm assuming Manhunter was filmed in 1985 because it was released in 1986. So this episode filmed in 1984. So I can definitely see where the influence came from for this movie. The book, however, had already existed. The Silence of the Lambs series had already existed, but I could definitely see Michael Mann's style. I could see his touch in this episode a lot. And the beach scene, as I've mentioned, Manhunter and Thief, 
I love it. I love it. I like when Michael Mann kind of knows what he knows what he likes and he kind of keeps to it. I don't remember seeing a shirtless beach scene in Heat or Collateral, so I'm a little disappointed in you, Michael Mann. I understand that both of those movies primarily took place in downtown Los Angeles. And despite popular belief, it is not an easy thing to get to the beach when you live in LA, unless you already live west of the 405. If you do not live west of the 405, you are going to the beach maybe once or twice a year when friends are in town. However, once it's not, it's not easy. It takes like an hour to get there. It takes forever to find parking. Usually the water's cold. It's a little dirty. All the good beaches are either like an hour and a half north or an hour and a half south. So again, I'm very blessed to live by a beach, but it does not mean that I actually go to the beach. And this is my favorite note from my note-taking for this episode. Quote, I love a shirtless man loving his woman, which I do. You know what? Who? We all love faithful men here on this podcast. Handsome, shirtless, faithful men, 100%. So I'm going to play a clip of some very cheesy dialogue between Caroline and Crockett, and you can hear Crockett's theme in the back. I can't stay, baby. Rodriguez is in the hospital. People I work with are putting it on the line. Uh, if you also played Grand Theft Auto Vice City on my favorite radio station, Emotion 98.3, Crockett's theme was also a song. I would take my little speedboat out onto the water. Again, I was in like grade 10, grade 10. So I would have that song playing and drive out to the water and just think. So yeah, since I was 14, this song has been a very big part of my life. So it still makes me very excited. Very, very, very excited. So even better, now we're going to the nightclub. We're going to the actual setup where we're going to see Mendez. Uh, you know my thoughts on this. I'm not going to read it further. Just saying, Zero and Switek are working undercover as both a server and a bartender. And I wrote a note that if I wondered if it happened in real life, and the more I think about it, absolutely not, because it would be very dangerous. I know that in schools, um, if you are undercover, like a 21 Jump Street thing, you do have to at least do some of the homework, because you actually have to seem like you are a student. Like if you're talking to other kids about the tests and the exams, you have to know what you're, at least some of what you're talking about. You don't have to be a smart kid undercover. You could be a dumb kid undercover. But this, I just think the liability is way too big. So I don't see this happening in real life. But it gives us a reason to appreciate Judy and Gina's outfits look amazing. Again, you can go see this in the gallery. And uh, guess what song is playing in the background? I'm so excited. I'm so... <laughs> I kind of wanted to play that Jesse Spano clip after, but I was, it's, I was kind of already on the topic of like getting a little agitated with all the spam calls. I decided to play it before, but I will definitely keep that in my soundboard. So it's not the last time you've heard Jesse Spano's breakdown. I did say something very nice about the undercover work. Zito can hold a tray better than I can. <laughs> um, as a server, I was always hated holding the tray and you could see other servers, especially ones who worked in nightclubs or worked as cocktail waitresses before, just basically grab the tray and put everything up on their fingertips and I can I cannot for the life of me do it. And I always have the tray like right by my body too. I I just not I'm better behind the bar. I'm not I can't balance things on a tray. So <laughs> not not good for that one. So they still see no sign of Mendez. They decide to go dance. And Tubbs reminds them that Mendez Mendez. Mendez may have changed his appearance with either like a hat or glasses. Hmm. Glasses. That's an interesting one. Hmm. Hmm. Crockett is up. This is a great scene. Go look at the gallery. It's like this beautiful 
backlit neon gloss glass block background super cool he's with what i assume is a swap member because it's a guy in brown outfit with a big gun assuming it's swat i see you would see a lot of swat drive by me when i lived in echo park but i never got to look at the officers i think they wear black but then this might have been who knows this is also miami dade county in the 80s could have been a lot of different things so Judy and Gina decide to dance, and already Trudy, looking amazing, gets creeped on really hard. Zito, Switek, and Gina all come to her rescue, and here's how it goes down. Hey, let's dance, pretty young thing. No, listen, I'm all danced out. Oh, no, not yet, you ain't no, mama. No, my lady dance doesn't out. want to dance. Hula! Hey, mama, it's a feisty little thing. Come here. Stay out of her. The clip, I have a, a gif of a girl jumping onto a guy's shoulders to start fighting. And there's a lady who looks like she has a dress that I have. I bought this vintage AJ Bari dress in college. I believe to wear it in a sorority formal. I never, it didn't come in the mail on time. So I had to buy something else. But it's this beautiful, I wore it to a staff party a couple years ago. Um, you can see in the gallery, me with blue hair at the time. Yeah, blue, blue hair, blue lips, and green dress. So it's a whole mess, but... <laughs> It's a really beautiful dress, and the print is a little bit different, so I don't think it's the same AJ Bari dress, but I was, I very much liked it. She looks much cuter than I did, but. And now, let's get back to the club. I have good news clip number one. Linus, is this the man? That's him. That's Mendez. You move, even breathe, and you're dead. So once they tell Crockett that they've captured Mendez, Crockett has good news clip number two. I'm going to haul Mendez in and I'll get the location for Calderon out of him. I'll catch up with you in a couple of hours downtown. Thanks, pal. Put yourself on the line for me. I help out all my friends on the hit list. Sorry, I guess I misidentified that. It's not really good news. But it's, it's, it's a happy plot point for the story. Crockett is going to be able to leave the safe house soon. And tonight he gets to go back to the safe house with his wife and child and you know, frolic on the beach shirtless while professing his love for his woman. Doesn't, don't we all want that? Um, however, spoiler alert, we cut back to the precinct where Tubbs is questioning Mendez and they get news that Linus has just been offed in front of his building, which means that they have the wrong guy and the assassin is still out there. Now the action's starting. So Tubbs speeds off in the spider to get Crockett. I did include a gif of this because that is definitely not Tubbs driving. You'll know what I you'll know what I mean when you see the gif, because you see the stunt guy's head pop up. And because Tubbs is driving the spider, or the stunt guy is driving the spider, Tubbs is rolling up to the house in a station wagon. And this is where I can't see it. I know that Crockett really does want to be this family man, but his commitment to his job is preventing him from that. So you see this inner conflict within him, and I could not see Sonny Crockett, Sonny Burnett, whatever. Sonny Crockett, football star for the Florida Gators, cannot see him driving a station wagon. So, however, the chase is on, and here's some getaway music.
So Crockett, Caroline, and Billy are pulling up to the house in the station wagon. Obviously, Caroline's house because Crockett does not have a house. <laughs> and as we see Crockett walk in, I see, we see the spilled coffee and the vanilla sprinkled donut, which is the marker, which is the calling card, let's put it that way, of the assassin. Once Sonny also sees the spilled coffee and the donut, he knows that someone's in the house and he knows that he's number one next on the hit list. So showed in Sue's all throughout the house. Caroline and Billy obviously tucked away safe. I believe they're hiding in the bedroom. And in his last fleeting moment, the assassin jumps out the window, very reminiscent of Manhunter, no spoilers, jumps out the window. However, he's surrounded by about six different cop cars outside and that's the last of him. In the station wagon, Crockett and Caroline, it's almost morning, like the day, daybreak, the sun has risen a little bit, I'll put it that way. They're talking about the future, and um, Caroline and Crockett realize they just can't make it work in this next clip. Caroline. I don't know what to say about last night. It's not last night, Sonny. It's everything. You know I love you, but it's not gonna work out. I'll reschedule the divorce hearing. Oh, that's sad. Like, obviously, they can't be together. They're needs and desires are very different from what the other can provide but it's still sad that they can't make it work <sighs> well Billy and Caroline get into a car and drive away while Crockett and Gina look on I'm not even going to go into this the only grace I'll give Gina is that she has not changed so she must be very tired it's been a very long night so there we go I'm not going to completely go off on her unfortunately changing gears to a sad gear at this moment Tubbs gets a call that Rodriguez has died. However, he does get news from Mendez. And I'm gonna play this next clip. They finally broke Mendez down. Calderon's in the Bahamas. That's only 60 miles away. How long will it take you to get ready? I'm always ready. They end the episode like that with to be continued. So we know next week we're going to the Bahamas to find Calderon. Woohoo! Actually, I'm really excited for the next episode too. I took a million pictures. So I think the gallery on that one's going to be very, very, very thorough. So basically, just it's just like a scene by scene of the entire episode. <laughs> but let's get to some vice tea. So as we talked about, Rodriguez died in surgery. So the real-life actor, Gregory Sierra, didn't like living in Miami, so he was killed off. And what I think as well is that great actor, funny guy, his vibe was very 70s. Smoking the big cigar in the police car on scene, kind of that banter. His voice, like his inflection a little bit, is a little bit more akin to Hill Street Blues, which I'm sure he probably got his start on because everybody did on the show. Uh, so did Edward James Olmos, who comes in next week to replace him. Spoiler alert. As if, like, I don't know, it's not really much of a spoiler. 
And Edward James almost is very 80. So I think they kind of maybe saw him in Blade Runner and was like, oh, he would have like that kind of like stoic wise. He has a little bit more, um, he's a little bit more vibrant, I think is the word that I'm looking for, like electric in Blade Runner, whereas in Miami Vice, like his character is just very stoic and quiet. But, you know, he's on the right side of justice, so I'll give him that. And let's segue that into Manhunter. So I think I've talked a lot about Manhunter on this episode, so I don't know if there's anything more I can add. There is this story, I don't know if it's true, I heard it on the Rewatchables, that Michael Mann sued or tried to sue William Friedkin after To Live and Die in L.A. came out. And because they both... Okay, so I understand what he's coming from. They're both crime movies, okay? So one and one, crime movie, William Peterson, bright colors. The plots are completely different. One is an FBI agent, the other is a Secret Service agent. Okay, okay, maybe that's okay. So both alphabet agencies. However, like, the entire vibe of the movie is very different. Manhunter is kind of like a neon noir, but it's very 80s, whereas To Live and Die in L.A. is a little bit more of a thriller and, like, kind of an erotic one at that. There was a lot of nudity, which, you know, Michael Mann, you could start inputting that a little bit more into your movies, you know. <laughs> there's a lot of shirtless scenes in Miami Vice, but there's not a whole lot in his movies. But... It's, this may be a hot take, but I actually enjoy To Live and Die in L.A. better because the story sucks me in a little bit more. Whereas the Manhunter story is just a little creepier. And I think the villain, Tom Noonan, who plays the villain in Manhunter is great, but you really can't hold a candle to being against Willem Dafoe, who was the bad guy in To Live and Die in L.A. So my vote is with To Live and Die in L.A. And I don't really think they're that similar. I do think they're of the same zeitgeist, but To Live and Die in L.A. feels very much like an L.A. movie. It doesn't have that kind of neo-noir, neon, Michael Mann pastel beach scene. There's actually, there's like a one beach scene. Apparently the Secret Service agent, William Peterson, lives on the beach in a condo. I was like, oh, wow, okay. I don't really know that government officials made that much, but <laughs> must be nice. Must be nice. So I know that's, that's, I don't know if that's verified. I kind of looked her to look on the internet for it a little bit, but that's what I learned from the rewatchables. So thank you guys for that little tidbit. And then let's talk songs. I'm so excited! No question as to what my top song is for this episode. Now, despite being a huge Save by the Bell fan, this may shock you that it's not actually my favorite use of the song in pop culture. My favorite use of the song is in Hot Shots Part 2 when they spoof the No Way Out limo scene and the limo driver turns around as they're, like, getting it on to, to I'm so excited and he has popcorn. I don't know. I just, I think it's so funny and it really kind of reminds me what that song is about. <laughs> I'm going to actually rank In the Night by Russ Ballard, even though it's my, it's number two overall. Spoiler alert. We'll, we'll talk about that in a future episode where they play another Russ Ballard song. But Tush didn't really, f I guess they needed like a fight song in a nightclub and no nightclub in Miami with that kind of clientele, like that top 40 vibe would play Tush. So Into the Night, just because I like the way they kind of use that as the chase scene, but the my my favorite Russ Ballard song of like what one up he has two basically, <laughs> sorry, I have no songs so who am I to judge, but his next song comes later on in the series so we'll talk about that a little bit more but yes I'm so excited wins this one best dress for this episode no 
surprise, hands down, Trudy's white and gold print dress at the nightclub. Beautiful, beautifully styled. Love it, love it. Cannot get enough. Second place, I maybe would say the divorce slash wedding suit. <laughs> and let me just quickly go over my fave five of this episode, which I've already said. I'm sorry. I know that usually like there's more of a build up to this, but I couldn't stop. Number one is having to wear a full-on suit on which must be the hottest day of the year, which is Tubbs running across the street with, I think it's a shotgun, with sweat stains all over the back of his suit. For so, I did not think that I would rank smoking in bed at number two. Wow, I'm a little surprised with myself. Number three, obviously a briefcase full of cash. <laughs> number is the facts of call the road please you have to go see this i implore you as soon as you park as soon as you're safe you need to see this you'll have a good laugh uh this was 1984 technology this is actually what people used when they would fax pictures to each other like this <laughs> can you imagine and can you imagine showing someone who's trying to solve a crime with that 1984 and like what we can use now oh my god they'd be so mad <laughs> and then my last fave five is obviously trudy that is it for this week's episode. As you know, next week we're going to go to the Bahamas and break down season one, episode five, Calderon's Return, part two. It's going to be a good one. Took a million pictures of it, so definitely, definitely, definitely comes check it out. Again, thank you so much. You can see all my pictures, everything I've talked about on the website at viceneasypodcast.com. Thank you in advance for rating and reviewing me on any platform you get your podcast. And you can follow me on social at viceneasypodcast.com. Don't forget to check out our YouTube as well. Thank you very much, guys. I'll see you next week. Hey, man. Miami Wise is number one new show.